0: Episode 97 of the Aggressive Progressive podcast. Democrats finally have some leverage. Will they use it? Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time This Texas thing is a golden opportunity for congressional Democrats and Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, to get everything they want out of the Republicans in Congress. Everything. The Voting Rights Bill, SR1, HR1, sorry. It's both HR1 and S1. Um... $15 minimum wage, the full $1.9 trillion COVID relief package. Texas is in a bad place. They are going to need a bailout. And let me say from the very beginning, I think they should get it. I think they should get the money they need to recover from this disaster that is the work solely of the state government. Of Texas, I mean the, the Republicans have controlled everything in Texas for 30 years, going on 30 years now. Um, they are fully responsible for the lack of regulation that allowed their energy providers not to put cold weather packages in their power plants and other facilities that failed last week in Texas, leading to billions of dollars. Estimates are that this is going to be worse than Hurricane Harvey, which was a real act of God, a real force majeure. This is not a force majeure. It gets cold in Alaska and their power plants work. It gets cold, um, in Scandinavia. And guess what? They have windmills that don't stop turning. <laughs> They've got batteries that don't die. You know what? It gets really cold in space. I don't know if you've heard about how cold it is in space. Maybe watch the show, The Expanse. What happens to the people when they step outside of the capsule when they get, uh, uh, they throw them out of the they throw them out of the uh, airlock as punishment to kill them. Uh, they freeze, <laughs> okay. Um, you know, check that out. It 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 gets cold in these places, and batteries still work. Oh my goodness, they figured it out in Texas. They just left it up. To the companies. And they're like, ah, what's the chances? You know, it doesn't very rarely gets cold in Texas. It seems to get cold in Texas a lot. I, as I said last week on this program, I, last time I was in Texas was about eight years ago. And it was 31 degrees outside. It was freezing. Didn't snow. Um, you know, two inches of snow and that entire state was destroyed. We're talking about probably $25 billion worth of damage. 25 billion dollars in damage. And I don't even think that scratches the surface. I mean, I'm I'm hearing horror stories from friends in Texas about pipes bursting and and you know, plumbers at every house in that state. It, it it's a a major problem. They're going to need a bailout, and it's a man-made bailout. And for the last 6 months or so, the Republicans have been balking on state and local government aid. In the COVID-19 package, they said, well, you know, these governors in these liberal ci- in these liberal states and liberal cities, uh, they made bad decisions. And that's why they're having these budget problems, even though there are Republican governors and Republican mayors and Republican county executives and other officials at local government level that need money from the federal government because their budgets have been devastated, not because they made a bad decision like like they did in Texas. Let, let me be clear. They made a bad decision in Texas. No, their budgets have been devastated because of COVID 19. You know, you know that thing that Donald Trump didn't want us to blame him about? Wait, wait. We're not calling him that anymore. We're calling him the former guy. Remember the thing that the former guy didn't want us to blame him for? How could you hold me responsible for it? This is the great opportunity for for Democrats in Congress. I write about this in my column. Uh, check it out. Go to my Twitter feed, at Christopher Hahn. Uh, but it's on Occupy Democrats and a few other places. Uh, it is a golden opportunity to show their hypocrisy on parade because there's no way that Republicans in the Senate are not going to push for aid for Texas. There's just no way. It's the most important state to the Republican coalition. If the Republicans lose Texas, they will never win the White House again. And uh, they, you know, if they lose those Senate seats in Texas, it's going to be very hard to hold on to the Senate. They're going to lose Texas at some point. And quite frankly, they're lucky, very lucky, that they don't have to stand before the voters this year uh, for statewide offices and for, you know, the state legislature. They'd lose. I mean, they would lose everything this year. The governor just got reelected. He's not up for four years. The legislature doesn't start. Uh, the legislature doesn't stand again till uh, 2022, and they're probably going to lose some seats. But, of course, they'll be gerrymandering between here and there, so maybe they'll fix themselves a nice map so that they can't lose. But people are mad in Texas, and it's a golden opportunity for Democrats. Now, look, um, Ted Cruz needs to support this aid, right? This is a guy who, for five years prior to 2017 Hurricane Harvey— um ted cruz voted against relief packages for like new york for hurricane sandy and other disasters around the country it was horrible and then he found religion on this in 2017 when hurricane harvey hit and they needed 19 billion dollars to bail out houston which is where he lives um texas is going to need this money they should get this money but i want a couple things in return i want the $1.9 trillion COVID relief package to pass through regular order overcoming a filibuster with 60 Republican votes. And in that bill, I'd like to see included H.R. 1, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, and the $15 minimum wage phased in over five years. And I'd like that to be supported by Ted Cruz and John Cornyn. And I'd like to see them whip some votes for it in the Senate. Now, every... Republican senator has said, you know, one way or another that they support some form of increased minimum wage. Um, I don't know that any of those things would survive budget reconciliation through the Senate parliamentarian. I don't know that they will. But here's the opportunity now to do some horse trading. Let's get some of it right. Let's condition that. Let's be very clear. This bill, this money needs to go in the COVID-19 relief package nowhere else. And this money should come with some strings like Texas now needs to maybe join the national grid so that this doesn't happen again. Another thing that would have prevented this is if Texas wasn't so afraid of regulation that they were part of the national grid. Now, had they been part of the national grid and not afraid of regulation, these systems wouldn't have failed. So it's like a catch 22, right? They wouldn't have needed the excess power from the rest of the country that they could have imported into Texas to keep the lights on while their power plants failed. Like by the way, every other state in the United States of America, every other state with the exception of Texas. I guess Hawaii too because you can't import power to Hawaii and I guess Alaska as well because it's kind of off the off the beaten path here. They probably have some agreement where they're tied into Canada in Alaska. It's funny. Gets really cold in Alaska. Really cold in Alaska. And we don't hear about these problems in Alaska. It gets really... You have been to Minnesota in February? Have you been there? Have you seen the pictures? It's 22 below on most days. Yet the lights go on. It's amazing. It's amazing how that works when you just, you know, modify the power plants to accept... You know, to be insulated against the cold. It's a, really a simple... comp. comp. Could you imagine I, I wrote this in my column? Um, I'm a big skier. I didn't ski this year, obviously, because of COVID. But um, spent a lot of time in Vermont. Texas got two or three inches of snow. I mean, let, let's be clear. Two or three inches of snow. The roads were impassable for days because of two or three inches of road of, of snow. Could you imagine if the state of Vermont could not... You know, you couldn't drive your car in Vermont because it snowed two or three inches. It snows two or three inches every day in Vermont in January and February. If they're lucky because they get a lot of uh, a lot of tourism dollars from their ski industry, including my tourism dollars. I'd be eating a lot less Ben and Jerry's if Vermont couldn't function because it snowed two to two inches and it was cold outside. So, yeah, this was the problem of Texas lawmakers and Texas policymakers. And this is the exact thing that Republicans said they didn't want to do. They didn't want to bail out a state because of bad decisions made by their governments. Well, here's a bad decision made by a government, a bad decision that's so bad, so egregious that no other state, none, no Republican state, no Democratic state, no independent state, no foreign country in the modern world has made this mistake. What was done by Texas was uniquely done by Texas and uniquely done by Texas politicians not wanting to be part of the United States of America, period. This is their Alamo. I wrote about this, that in my column last week. This is one of the worst disasters in Texas since the Alamo. People died. It's not funny. Ted Cruz got on a plane and went to Cancun while people were dying in his home state. You know, that guy, he's lucky he's not up for four years. And quite frankly, I don't think anybody's going to forget it. for you. He shouldn't even run. Blames it on his daughters. (laughs) I mean, what a... I mean, these guys, they are... It's so pathetic to me. It's so pathetic that they're even in office. That they are, you know, this is the guy... You know, these Republicans like to pretend they're tough guys or tough, strong men. Yeah, manly men. You think Ted Cruz, who's blaming his decision to go to Cancun on his preteen daughters, is a manly man? By the way, which was a lie. He later retracted that. He's a manly man. Uh, By the way, we all saw him in the airport. Didn't look too manly to me. It, it it's just a it, it's just a disgrace to me. He's a disgrace. He's a lying, disgraceful human being. The former guy nicknamed him "Lying Ted." Now we're calling him "Flying Ted" or "Cancun Cruz. Plenty of nicknames. Um, meanwhile, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez raised five million dollars for the Texas Relief Fund. What was Ted doing? Ted raise any money? Get on the phone? Pick up a shovel? That's your state. That's your state. I get it. She's got a better social media presence than you, and she's much better at Instagram than any of us. Um, But she did the right thing. She led. She became a servant. You want to be served, Ted, just like the former guy. You don't believe in servant leadership. You believe that the leader should be served, and that's wrong. That's not the way it works. The leader is a servant. So this is the opportunity. And I think the Democrats need to play hardball 100%. Let's make Ted Cruz and John Cornyn, who, by the way, we've heard nothing from John Cornyn. He just got reelected. So he's not up for six years. And I think this might be his last term. Anyway, we've heard nothing from him. Since this started, he used to be the number two Senate Republican. I guess he's not anymore, but he's still pretty influential. He's Mitch's right hand man. Let's whip some votes, Senator Cornyn. Let's whip some votes and put this in uh, the COVID relief package. And I want one other thing in it, whether it be the John. And the thing I most want is, is H.R. One. But, uh, you know, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act would be good. The $15 minimum wage would be great for a lot of people, including a lot of Texans. So, you know, let's get these guys whipping those votes to make those things happen. Democrats need to play hardball. We'll give you this aid. We'll give you whatever you need. And I believe they should have that aid. I really do. I, you know, I, I mean, I don't want the people of Texas to suffer uh, because they made poor choices in electing Republicans for the last 30 years. Now, uh, I don't think they're going to elect Republicans going forward in the way they do now. I think you'll have a much more balanced government in Texas probably two years from now. I, and look, gerrymandering is going to screw up their opportunity to change their state legislature. I know that. But if we could pass H.R. 1, it's going to be a lot harder to gerrymander. You won't be able to gerrymander simply for political means, right? You won't be able to do that. So let's uh let's hope that the Democrats grow a pair. Let's hope that they and you know, I know nobody likes me saying that. I, I get it. I'm a Gen Xer, don't cancel me. Um let's hope that the Democrats grow a spine. How's that? Much better. Um let's hope that the Democrats grow a spine and and do this and force this into whatever COVID relief package, make the Republicans give them the 60 votes they need so that they don't have or or avoid the filibuster. You don't necessarily, you don't have to filibuster everything. You don't need to have a filibuster. You have to announce that you're going to be a filibuster. And then we have a cloture. You don't necessarily have to have a cloture vote on every bill. And I think this could be a model going forward, right? I think this could be a model going forward and how we get things done. It used to be a thing in Congress called earmarks, and John McCain railed against them, and they were much maligned by a lot of people, and they were eventually outlawed in Congress. You don't have congressional earmarks. And what an earmark was, was individual members of the House and individual members of the Senate would pick projects within their states that would get federal funding. And they were abused to some extent. You have things like the Bridge to Nowhere, which... I think is a, a mis you know. It's, it's a, you know, if you have an island that doesn't have a bridge to it, how are you going to develop the island? So putting a bridge to that island leads to development of that island. I get it. The bridge went to an island with no people on it in Alaska. I get it, and 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 I I could see how that could be sensationalized, but. If you are the mayor of a town that has this island, which is an asset, it's got a waterfront. It's got maybe a place where you could bring in boats, bring in fish, you, or, or a place you might want to develop. You might want to put housing or, or an office community. You can't do that if you, you can't get to it. So you build a bridge, and I get it. It was a very expensive bridge. But congressional earmarks were the grease that turned the wheels in Congress. And when we used to have congressional earmarks, you used to be able to get people to vote for things like budgets, particularly budgets, because their project was earmarked in it. I'll give you this vote if you give me this. That's how it worked for, I don't know, 150 years in this country. And now we have a Congress that basically passes, you know, naming of post office and whatever must pass bill needs to be passed. And that's it. They don't do anything anymore. We can't legislate anymore because they don't have anything to trade with each other. And that's actually given more power to the executive branch. If, if Congress can't earmark projects within their states, the only person that can get things earmarked or funded is the president. Why should that be? Wouldn't a member of the House of Representatives have a better idea of what's going on in its district than the president of the United States? So the, you only, it's really, you know, government by fiat. I'm all for bringing back congressional earmarks. And I'm going to write a column about this soon, too. And when I worked in Congress, there were earmarks. And I didn't think that they were horrible. Do I think that there was some abuse? Yeah, let's put some things in there so there's no abuse. Let's figure that out. Let's make sure that earmarks are part of the congressional record that each earmark is put into the final document so we know exactly where things are going and people have full transparency on where the money's going. I'm all for that. I'm not saying let's have these secret earmarks. There became a process where you didn't even know who was asking for it. Let's let's make sure we know who's asking for it. And it's pretty easy to figure out who's asked for it because it's their district. Uh, Let's have full transparency in the earmark process, but let's have earmarks. Let's bring it back. Let's get some grease on this wheel. So that it starts turning again, because this Congress, you know, for the past, you know, 10 years has been feckless, ineffective, done nothing other than squabble. That's it. Hearings on Benghazi two impeachments. That's, I mean, a couple of COVID relief packages that you needed to pass because the whole country was falling apart. But what are we doing about voting rights in America? What are we doing about civil rights in America? Women's rights, all these things. They're just not happening. Nothing's moving we got to get things moving again. All right, I'm going to take a quick break, and I'm going to come back with more of me. I'm not going to do a guest this week, so stick around. All right, I'm back. Hey, don't forget to follow me on uh, Twitter. At Christopher Hahn, one of the things I tweeted out yesterday was um, Merrick Garland, um, he got a question from Cory Booker. And uh, it was a touching moment. I mean, I I think in, in political life, we have very few real moments. And it's clear to me what a great American Merrick Garland is. And he's going to be a great Attorney General of the United States. And he would have been a great Supreme Court Justice. And the Republicans, they did him dirty. Let's just put it that way. They did him dirty. Mitch McConnell did him dirty. And one of the other things the Democrats have to figure out over the next year and a half before they lose power because they will lose power with gerrymandering is how to get some judges on the bench and replace some of these ridiculous conservatives. Two things happened yesterday um, in the judiciary and in the justice department, you know, the confirmation hearings of Merrick Garland, which are going great. He's going to get confirmed. He'll probably get 80 votes in the Senate. He had that great moment where he basically was talking about how his country, his family came here and the country protected him and his family and that he wanted to give back to America. Such a great immigrant story. Love it. Love him. Love this country for what it did for him and for me and my family, which has got a similar story. Uh, European Jews that escaped the Holocaust and came here. It was, um, you know, it's a very important story. It's on my father's side, On my mother's side. They were Italians who escaped. Mussolini. We were running for people. We were running from dictators on both sides of the family. And this country protected us. It's great. The other thing that happened was the Supreme Court ruled that Trump's tax returns can be released to the Manhattan district attorney, Cy Vance, who's prosecuting a case against him. We knew that was going to happen. It just took forever to happen. But it happened. Thank God. Hallelujah. But, you know, one of the people who dissented was... Clarence Thomas, and he dissented for batty, ridiculous reasons. And he's been on the bench a long time. I mean, I'm talking now, I think he was 88. So what is that, 33 years? It's a long time. Um, You know, we got to move it along. We got to figure something out. And Democrats have to be aggressive in filling these seats over the next two years because if they lose the Senate. Now, I I, I have more confidence that we're going to hold the Senate than I do that we're going to hold the House. Um, Democrats, though, need to confirm judges like they're going to lose the Senate in two years. One of the things that, uh, that frustrated me most about Obama was he was so particular in picking judges, and as he should be, their lifetime appointments. They didn't fill all the slots that they had. <laughs> he left. Dozens of, of, of vacancies on the bench that Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell quickly filled. And obviously, we talked about it. The Merrick Garland vac- vacancy and the way that the Republicans blocked that for, for a year was ridiculous. He's going to get 80 votes in the Senate. He's a great American. He's going to be a great attorney general. The moment yesterday was one of the few real moments we've seen in politics in a year. Um, but I, I, I do think that we need to do something to expand the judiciary, expand the courts. I don't know if you're going to expand the Supreme court. I don't know that you'll ever get the votes for that. I don't think the Joe mansions of the world are going to do that. Um, but maybe we'll get the ability to expand these district courts and circuit courts. Cause quite frankly, they're overcrowded anyway. They need more judges. Um, to hear more, to hear the cases. These courts are, are crowded and they're going to be really backed up due to the COVID-19. Once things start to open up later this year and these cases start moving again, you're going to see a huge backlog in cases uh, in the lower courts around this country. So I think there's an argument to be made for filling those vacancies and, and doing it right now. The other thing that's happening this week is that Republicans and aided and abetted by Joe Manchin are looking for a scalp from the Ob- from the Biden cabinet and it looks like the person that they're going to try to get is 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 Neera Tandon and and that's that's dis- it's disgusting to me okay first of all Neera's been on this podcast she's been on my radio show she's fantastic she's smart as hell she's incredibly qualified she's a a, a smart qualified woman of color and they are Attacking her for tweets she's done over the last four years. Now, you know, to hear Susan Collins say that her temperament's not right. And you look at the people she's confirmed for Donald Trump over the last. She says he's not qualified and her temperament's not right. Both things are wrong. Okay. You know, everybody's a little sarcastic on Twitter. Everybody was hyper partisan the last four years. None of these people ever wanted to comment on President the former guy's tweets for for four four and a half five years. They still, you know, he's not tweeting anymore because he can't. Um but they wouldn't today. If he if he was out there tweeting today, oh I didn't see it. I don't watch Twitter. But nearer Tandon, oh, they looked into every single one of her tweets, every statement she's made on cable news, every single one of them. Susan Collins and Mitt Romney and Joe Manchin, they're all very familiar with her repertoire on Twitter. That's a bunch of nonsense. It's ridiculous. This is just hunting for sport, is what they're doing. And they're looking for somebody to knock out of the Biden cabinet. And I'm sorry, Joe Manchin, you are you're playing right into their hands. Susan Collins' statement on Monday was ridiculous. Just give me a break. I mean, this is a woman of accomplishment. A woman who served two presidents. You don't like something she tweeted? When you, for four years, you never could comment on anything that the former guy tweeted? Nothing? No white supremacy stuff? You didn't see the presidential debate where he said, stand back and stand by to the Proud Boys? You didn't see that one? How about the you know you know that first debate where he was a complete lunatic? You didn't even see it, right? You couldn't comment. Oh, I I was too busy. I didn't watch it. Okay. (laughs) How about any of the twenty million news coverages, news news posts about it? Or how about Twitter? I mean, since you're so concerned with Neera Tanden's Twitter feed, you you don't follow any news sources on Twitter? None. AP, Fox? I mean, it was everywhere. But now all of a sudden you see everything that happens on Twitter with are a Tandon, and you're gonna block her from being the director of OMB because you don't like something she tweeted. That is I mean, it's pathetic. It is a you know, it's a pathetic thing. It is hunting for sport and politics, which is nonsense. She's extremely qualified. She's more qualified than Mick Mulvaney was in a million freaking years, and you all approved him for that job. Including Joe Manchin. You all said okay to Mick Mulvaney. What was his qualification? How was his temperament? What did he say to the media over the last 10 years? You you didn't you weren't bothered to look into that. But this woman. Now I get it. I get why like a Lindsey Graham uh, or a Tom Cotton. They don't like women. They don't like strong women particularly. I get it. But how about you, Susan Collins? How about you, Mitt Romney? How about you, Joe Manchin? Why are you pushing back on this strong woman who would do a great job for America in that job? A woman that doesn't need this job, who's probably making much better, a much better living with less, far less consequences to what she does right now. But she wants to come back and serve this country because this country's been good to her and her family. Unbelievable. I'm tired of this nonsense. It is hunting for sport, and it's time for for that to end. Nira's great. She's been on this show. I encourage you all to go back and listen to her episode here. I, I um, reposted it a couple of weeks ago over Christmas break. Um, she's great, and um, she'd be a great uh, OMB director. She'd be a great cabinet member. She'd be a great White House chief of staff. I I, I always thought that you know Ron Klein would serve maybe two years. And then your attendant would go be White House Chief of Staff. That's what I thought was going to happen. It's a tough job being White House Chief of Staff. It's it's not a job you want forever. It's pathetic, though. These people are pathetic. They've got nothing better to do. Hunting for sport. All right, I think we've all had enough of me uh, for one day. I hope you enjoyed this this shorter, no-interview version of the podcast. Let me know what you think. Go to ChristopherHahn.com. Uh, and check out my uh, your, your ability to email me there. And of course, uh, at Christopher Hahn on Twitter and Christopher Hahn NY on Instagram. And check out my columns uh, on Occupy Democrats and a few other places. And I want to thank you now and remind you, as I always do, to seek the truth. Question everything and everyone, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there. And I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.